So here's the deal. Jesus has something for you. Okay? They'll they'll work out the, the reverb here. Just stay with me. Jesus has something for you, but it's not where we typically look. See, because for a lot of us, what we do is we come on Easter Sunday to get our fix. We come on Easter Sunday so that we can, we can get our, our religious activity in, and, and we can chalk it up, and we can be done, and that's cool. I get it. But if that's where we're looking for hope, is in our, our liturgical, maybe our cross it off the list, our, our we got our checked box, we, we've done our thing. If that's where we're looking for hope, then, man, you are going to swing and miss. Jesus offers everything that your heart needs, and it is better than you can possibly imagine. But listen to me, track me here. You have to want it. I mean, really want it. Because if you don't really want it, now this is going to rub you the wrong way. This isn't the Easter message that you've heard. If you don't really want it, he is not going to give it to you. See, here's the thing. Uh, It's a lot like... um, it's a lot like this gift, and it's free, and you want it because it's free, and so somebody gives it to you, and, and, and it's free to you. It's not free. I mean, Jesus paid for it at a high price, the, the, his, his blood, his suffering, all of that on the cross. You know the Easter story, all of that. He pays for it with a high price, and he wants to give it to you for free, but here's what he does not want. He does not want you to take his precious, expensive, free gift and then throw it in your junk drawer with all of the other stuff that you've got in there. How many of you have a junk drawer at your house? Here's what I want you to do. I I don't need you to tell me, but I want you to lock it in your brain. When is the one time when you're looking for what one thing is your, I go to the junk drawer for that? Think about it. What's the one thing where you know, okay, that's the junk drawers where I go. For how many? Raise your hand if it's a pen. No, okay, that's that's my go-to at the junk drawer. Raise your hand if it's dice. There's a couple of you, you know, that's where the dice go. Checkbook? If you're at our house and you're looking for dice, pens, or checkbooks, you know to go to the junk drawer. It's also where we keep our little screwdrivers and our hammer. We all got a junk drawer. Some of you, I mean, own it. Some of you have a junk room. Jesus is not going to give you a precious gift so that you can go home and throw it in your junk drawer. It doesn't work that way. It's bigger than that. And so what we need to do today is, I hope, um, is we're going to have a define the relationship kind of a moment with Jesus. See here, I'll just, full disclosure, if you don't know me well, I am crazy about Jesus. Jesus and I are tight. I love Jesus. I will go anywhere that Jesus wants me to go. I will do anything that Jesus wants me to do. Now, here's the deal. I will struggle sometimes, and I will have a hard time, and I won't be perfect. But ultimately, I am so in love with Jesus Christ that I will go wherever he wants me to go. And and that attitude is what makes me right with him. And so we need to have a define 
the relationship, you know, define the relationship moments, right? You have them in relationships, uh, typically with significant others, but not always. And it's this moment where you decide, okay, are we in or not? Carrie and I had to define the relate. We've had lots of define the relationship moments, but I remember one that was most significant. Um, it was a it was a moment where it was like, okay, here's the deal: we are either breaking up or we're getting married. It was that moment. We were kind of, we had been dating for a while and we were on that trajectory. It was like, okay, well, the natural thing is for us, we went to a relationship retreat. Guys. No. I mean, just no. But we went and, and, and it, was, it was supposed to be helping us get ready for this Marriage, if marriage is for you, this is for you, and go, and you're going to get connected, and I suppose, I say no jokingly, but I mean, really, it was probably a good thing for us to go to, because it brought a lot of things to the surface that we needed to deal with. See, we didn't have good premarital counseling, and, and so we were, we were kind of like, what do, we, what, what, what do we do with this stuff, and we went to this, and, and, and it all came out, and it was not an awesome time, but it was an awesome time. Because on our way home, we defined the relationship. Are we going to deal with these things? Are we going to figure out how to, how to live together and be together and like each other? Or are we going to say, you know what, we gave it a shot and part as friends. And of course, we, we decided to push forward. I've had other define the relationship moments. I had one with my brother not a year ago. It was of a different nature. Okay, but my brother and I have always been close. Things have always been easy for us. Uh, we believe fundamentally different things on every level, but that has never hurt our relationship because I've always trusted his heart and he's always trusted mine. And then some things came to a head about this time, maybe 12, 14 months ago last year. And uh, all of a sudden, it got to the point where he wasn't trusting my heart as much because I disagreed with him on some things, respectfully, most times not even, not even going there with him. But that started to cause friction in our relationship to the point where we couldn't be together. We couldn't have communication because it always was turning into something different. And, and he actually, at that point in time, was like, you know what, I'm out. And it was a moment where I remember saying to him, actually, I, I think I wrote it to him, like, are we really doing this? It was a define the relationship kind of moment. I used to have him in counseling all the time. I was a, a mental health therapist before I was a pastor, and um, I had clients all the time, and I would have define the relationship moments with them. Like, hey, look, I'm spending time away from my family. I'm tired. I've been at work all day. I'm here in the office at night, and I'm seeing you for therapy, and everything I ask you to do, everything I put in front of you, you are saying no or you're refusing. Look, let's get into this because I don't feel like wasting my time. I don't feel like taking your money if we're not going anywhere. And so there would be define the relationship moments in counseling. And sometimes people would get in and sometimes I'd have to fire a client or two. Define the relationship. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you. I know it sounds maybe a little dramatic. It's not meant to be. Jesus wants to have a define the relationship moment with you. Okay? And so here, here's the thing that you need to understand. When, when Jesus draws a crowd, see, Easter is hard for pastors. Easter's hard for pastors, and you know, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you know why that is. Uh, for a lot of you, 
this is the one, two, maybe three or four times a year you decide to go to church. This is the one of those times when you're like, okay, I'll go to church today because it's Easter. And so Easter puts pressure on pastors because here's what we do. We end up thinking to ourselves, man, if I just do a good enough job, if I just do better, then all of a sudden people will love Jesus like I love Jesus, and they'll want to be connected to Jesus, and they'll want to grow in a relationship with Jesus, and their lives will be better. And I mean, I know that's the answer, and so there's this pressure. And, and so I went to the scriptures this year because I thought, well, I mean, what would Jesus say to a crowd? When a crowd of people come to talk to Jesus, what does he say? And I got to be honest with you, I didn't like it. It wasn't awesome. Because Jesus wasn't a big fan of crowds. And so what happened, whenever Jesus drew a crowd, he would get confusing. He would make it harder instead of easier. So that people that were there would define their relationship. And they would either say, this is too hard, I'm out. Or they would say, I'm all in. There's a great book uh, Kyle Eidelman has written um, that, uh, that I'd recommend you read at some point in time if this kind of a topic intrigues you. It's called Not a Fan. Basically, the way he wrote it is this. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. That Jesus isn't looking for people to say, oh, yeah, Jesus, I know that guy. He's awesome. Yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, I caught him when he was in town last year. I mean, you know how you do it with concerts. Right? I caught him when he was in town. I signed up for his fan club. I get newsletters. It's great. I'm planning to go see him again next time he's in town. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And so when Jesus draws a crowd, he uses those as an opportunity for define the relationship moments so that people that want him can have him and people that don't can be free. Jesus actually does this as a grace. Because if you're not in, like I was in counseling, if you're not in, then I don't want you to waste your time and I don't want to waste mine. That's Jesus' attitude. But if you're in, then come get it. And so we're going to see this. Uh, we're going to open up. You can open up your Bibles if you want. There's some in the pew in front of you, or um, you can just track along with me. But we're going to start in Luke 8. And it starts with, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. So this is, this is you would think, this is Jesus' moment, right? So he has been doing such a great job of ministry. He's been healing. He's been sharing truth. People are, are all in on what Jesus is doing. And so they're actually traveling from towns all over, coming to where Jesus is so that they can hear him talk. They want to see him do miracles. They want to hear his wisdom. They want to be a part of it. And so Jesus is drawing a crowd. And the crowd comes. And so Jesus stands up to address the crowd. And he says, one day... A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it up. Other seed fell among the rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns and grew up until it choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he'd said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he dropped the mic 
and he left. What? So it's like, okay, Jesus, you got a crowd now. This is your chance to convince them all to come follow you. This is your chance to get them all in. Pastor speak, this is your chance to get them all to come back next Sunday, to get them all to be a part of your church. This is that moment. And Jesus gets up there and he's like, hey, let me tell you about some dirt and some seed. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. I'll see you later. And he leaves. That's Jesus's idea of speaking to a crowd. And you're like, well, Hans, why, why would he do that? Somebody go ahead and ask me. That is an awesome question. His disciples asked the same thing. We, we skip ahead to the next verse, and we skip ahead to the next verse, and his disciples ask him, hey, man, what does that parable mean? Like, what are you doing? What's this about? And get this. Most of you have been taught that Jesus speaks in parables in the Bible. Why? Well, because they're good stories with good morals, and the parables help you understand them. Somebody told you that. Somebody lied to you. Parents, if you've accidentally lied to your kids that way, like I have in the past, I've probably told my kids, oh, parables are they're just great stories to help you learn the moral lessons that Jesus is teaching. Uh-uh, poppycock. Here's what he says. You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables. Why? to teach the others so that scriptures might be fulfilled. Here's what the scriptures that are being fulfilled say. When they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't understand. See, I want you to track that. When Jesus draws a crowd and he teaches in parables, he doesn't do it because that makes everything more clear. He does it because it muddies the water. Jesus is confusing on purpose. Have you ever read the Gospels and thought to yourself, man, why doesn't that guy speak English? He is so confusing. Well, first of all, because he doesn't speak English because he, he didn't speak English, but he doesn't speak clearly because he doesn't really care if everybody understands. In fact... His answer there tells us that he actually speaks confusingly because he doesn't want you to understand at the first pass. See, here's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to reserve truth for the people that want to chase after him and find it. And I know you're thinking, man, that, that's, that's weird. Hey, look, man, I didn't come up with this stuff. It's not me. This is scripture. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, if you got ears, here. You can understand me, great, understand me, you can't, whatever. And, and then he walks away and he says, I do that on purpose because I want the people that really want truth, I want them to come after me and find truth. He says this, I want it to matter to them as much as it matters to me. And the disciples do that. The disciples follow after him and they say, man, what does that even mean? And so he explains it to them and he says this, you know, that first soil... Uh, it, it, that, that fell on the rocky, or that fell on, on the hard path, that's like landing on a sidewalk. It's like landing on a sidewalk. It has no chance of getting in. Some of you, unfortunately, some of you might be in that boat this morning. Some of you might have come here this morning feeling a little bit like a sidewalk in, in that you aren't interested in this. There were donuts, and that sounded pretty cool, and your kids wanted to find Easter eggs, and that was great, 
and your husband said, honey, I really think we should go to church, or your wife said, you know, I really think we ought to go to church, it's Easter, or your parents made you come, or whatever it is, and so you're here, but you're kind of like that sidewalk. You're not interested in truth, and so we throw it out there, and and I say Jesus, and I say I love Jesus, and I want you to love Jesus, and it kind of bounces off, and Jesus says, man, I'm not watering that. He says, I'm not going to water that. Why would I water a sidewalk? What good is going to come from watering a sidewalk? And, And then he says, that the second soil, that the rocky soil, I mean, that's like these people. And, and maybe some of you have been here before. In fact, I know a lot of people on Easter Sundays who have heard the news, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have said, man, I am all in. Yes, give me Jesus. I want Jesus. Jesus will make my life better. And then they leave. And as soon as something happens, as soon as something difficult happens, as soon as something happens that, that I don't understand or that I don't like or that makes it seem like God's not on my side, I walk away and I'm like, ah, oh, what good was he anyway? And it burns up. And Jesus says, I'm not going to water that. Why would I pour into that? It burns away. Jesus isn't in the market for fair weather believers in the third soil among the thorns and the weeds. And that's like the soil where the plant springs up and, 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 it, and it comes up, but that's like somebody wanting to take the gift and they want to take it home and they want to put it on the shelf on par with everything else. They're like, thank you for the gift, Jesus. It is just as good as all of the other things in my life. And you know what's scary? There are a lot of people that live there. Jesus has a lot of fans that live there. That, that say, you know what, Jesus is great, and I will take Jesus, and I will put Jesus on the same level that I put everything else. So Jesus will be just as important as my work, as my relationships, as my love life. Jesus can be almost as important as my money. It's how I spend my time. And so we take Jesus and we put him on a shelf with everything else, uh, but what does he tell us? He says when it comes up, eventually... That seed gets choked out because there is way too much other garbage competing with Jesus. And I never made a decision to make him more important. And ask a farmer. I'm not a farmer, but we got plenty of farmers around here. Ask a farmer, how much time do we spend watering weeds? Weeds grow up on their own. They don't need any help. In fact, last summer when it was really dry, it seemed like all of the grass in my yard was dead. But you know what flourished? the weeds. They were tall and full, and then they flowered, and then everybody could see um, that I needed to cut my, my grass. But Jesus doesn't do that. But then he gets to the good soil, and he says, but when the seed lands on the good soil, oh, man, it takes root. And Jesus says, I water it. I pour into it. And it grows, and it blossoms, and it flourishes, and it creates a harvest like you wouldn't believe. And that's where the value is. And he says, if, and if, if you can understand that, great. If you can't, you can't. But, but that's the way that it is. And, and that's how Jesus preaches to a crowd. Now, think about this. Like if I said, hey, you know what? Hey, special Sunday, Jesus is going to come and he's going to talk to us all and it's going to be great. And he came up here and he's like, hey, let me tell you about dirt. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Hey, I'll see you later. See you next Easter. And he goes, Man, what, what would I do? I'd want to rush up here and I'd want to apologize for him. Hey, guy, you know what? Don't worry about it. Jesus had a bad day. 
didn't get enough coffee this morning. He didn't really mean it. You're great. You're special. You're good just the way you are. Don't go changing. Everything about you is awesome. But that's me apologizing for Jesus. That makes no sense. See, think about this. What if, what if the God of the universe actually thought that he was so special that he was worth everything you have? I mean, what if the God of the universe thought so much of himself that you should, that, that he believed that you should be thrilled at the opportunity to be in a relationship with him. See, we paint this picture, and the church does it, and I'm, I'm sorry about it. The church does it. We paint this picture where God is, is needy for you, where God begs you to come to him. But that's not the God of the Bible. Jesus doesn't beg. He walks up to the crowd, and he says, hey, here's the deal. You want me? Come get me. You don't? Okay. And I, I don't want to paint a picture. I don't want you to think that, that somehow if you're the wrong kind of soil this morning, because some of you in your heart of hearts, you know you are not that fertile soil. Some of you know I'm talking and you're like, yeah, I'm concrete. Some of you are like, yeah, you know what, I'm rocky. I, I said, yes, I want Jesus, but then when it got hard, I kind of decided he wasn't worth it. And others of you are like, yeah, I love God, but I love everything else just as much. And so some, some of you in your heart of hearts, you know you're the wrong kind of soil. And I don't want you to be confused. If you're the wrong kind of soil, God is not abandoning you. He's just not compromising with you. God isn't running away from you because you're the wrong kind of soil. God isn't saying you're on your own because you're the wrong kind of soil. But God is not saying, hey, you know what? You just be who you are and that's fine with me. See, it's that song we sing just as I am. See, just as I am is great. God will take you just as you are, but God won't compromise with you. If you're coming to the cross and you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he will take you where you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your past looks like. Some of you here, man, some of you have pasts. You know it and I know it. For some of you, you think about my past it would shock you. And I know it. What God is saying is, I don't care about your past, but I care about my truth. And are you in or not? So let me ask you this question. How many of you would say that you really want truth? I mean, I ask this, uh, you, you could be an elder here at the church, a, a deacon, a ministry team leader. You could lead small groups. You could have been in every small group there ever was. I'm not asking, um, you, you know, just certain people. I'm asking everybody here in the room, how badly do you want truth? I mean, what if it's not true? What if it's not true what people want me to say at funerals all the time? You know I get calls for funerals all the time. Because there are all kinds of people that, uh, that 
that don't have a church home. Now, some of them don't have a church home because they've gone to church for years and years and years, and now they're kind of shut in, or, you know, they, they've moved here to be with family, and they haven't been established, and it's hard for them to get out of church. Every, I, I get that. Um, but most of the calls I get for funerals um, aren't Blessed Hope people. They're not Blessed Hope connected people. Most of the calls I get for funerals are people that haven't been to church, haven't ever desired to go to church, they don't want to go to church, um, and now all of a sudden they need a pastor to perform the burial. And we're one of the churches around that will accommodate that. We say yes, and, and so I actually have one of these tomorrow, um, made for a really good Easter weekend to, to prep for a funeral tomorrow, but it's all good. But, but what's the first thing people want me to tell them? The first thing they tell me, the first thing I hear when I sit in a funeral, the first thing they want, they want me to tell them is, it's okay, they're in a better place. It's okay, they're in a better place. What if what we hear at every funeral isn't true? I was talking to somebody just recently. Just, I mean, when I say recently, I mean recently. Somebody just recently who, uh, well, you know what? I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. But I'm good with God. And I... Have you asked him? Because I don't think that's true. What if? See, I think the problem is when we say, how badly do you want truth, that people want truth based on what they can agree with feeling-wise. You know what I hear all the time? I just want to believe in a God that loves me. Okay, I, I want to believe in a God that loves me too. I do believe in a God that loves me. But then they take it a step further. Because I just want to believe in a God that loves me, God would never make me give up anything. God would never make me say no to something. God would never allow things that are bad. And then I get this one. I get this one all the time. I just refuse to believe in a God that would allow people to go to hell. I mean, you can refuse to believe it, but does that make it different? Does that mean it's not true? See, here, here's the thing that, that we've discovered. Here's what we know, is that most people refuse truth because most people's belief systems are based on what they desire, not what's true. Jesus knew that. So this is why he says, look, here are the people that are out there. Here are the ways they receive the, the seed, the word of God, the truth. Here's how they receive the truth. If they respond, they respond. If they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. And then he walks away and he leaves it to us to chase. That's just the reality uh, that it is. And, and, and you know what? I know it's hard, but there are people that love truth. Some of you are here. A lot of you are here. There are people that love truth. You know how I know people that love truth and chase after truth? Because people that love truth and chase after truth, they end up believing things that they don't necessarily want to believe. Let I me mean, think about that. I love truth. I chase after truth. I search for truth, which means there are times when I have to believe things that I wish I didn't have to believe because... They're true because the word of God says them. And so there are times when I end up having to say things I wish I wouldn't have to say. But I can't apologize for Jesus because 
just is what he is. Okay, so you're sitting here and you're thinking and you're tracking through this. You're like, okay, so if I'm the wrong kind of soil, what does that mean? It means you need to start chasing truth. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you're truly my disciples, you'll remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, some of you here, you're thinking, man, I, I've tried this Jesus thing before. And if you're honest with you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in your heart, in your mind, you can do this. Some of you here think to yourself, I have tried this Jesus thing before and it does not work for me. It doesn't work for me. I don't feel it. It doesn't do anything in me. It doesn't make me feel connected. It doesn't bring me peace. I've tried this Jesus thing before and it just doesn't work. And what I'm going to say to you is you have not surrendered to Jesus. You've tried Jesus. You've dabbled with Jesus. You've put Jesus on your shelf with everything else. And you've tried to make him part of your life without making him your life. The problem with that is that that will not set you free. But listen, if you're here today and you are ready to be free, then it's the truth that sets you free. You've got to submit and surrender to truth because truth has set you free. Now, here's the thing. It's so good. It's so good. Ask me how good it is. It's so good. Man, I wouldn't trade the truth of Jesus Christ for anything. And listen to me. Get this. The truth of Jesus has cost me in my life. Do you know what it cost me? It cost me everything. Following Jesus Christ has cost me everything that I am, everything that I have, everything in my being. It takes me surrendering so that I can follow Jesus. And it is so good I wouldn't trade it for a second. It is that good I wouldn't give it up. Because it's that truth, the truth of Jesus, it's that truth that set me free. And if you are here in any kind of bondage today, it is the truth of Jesus Christ that sets you free. You got anger issues? Hey, guess what? Truth of Jesus will set you free. Will it make you perfect? No. But will it soften the soil of your heart so that the seed can take root and you can work hard to surrender? You got relationship problems? Man, the truth of Jesus will set you free. You got financial woes? Man, the truth of Jesus Christ and living life his way will set you free. Will it be quick fix? No, but it will set you free. You got work drama? You got family stuff? It's the truth of Jesus Christ that sets you free. See, here's the deal. Jesus says, you want me? You come and get me. But here's the promise that I'll make you. When you chase after Jesus, it makes it good. It changes everything. It's the truth. He says, you are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Not perfectly, but you try to grow in my teachings. And knowing that truth, knowing it, that breaks every chain. It lights every darkness. It fixes every hurt. It calms and soothes every anxiety. It solves every burn, everything that's wrong. The truth of Jesus breaks the chain and sets you free. It's that simple. You're like, okay, well, Matt, what is that truth? Well, the truth is just simply this. Jesus says, man, I'm the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. And Jesus says, you want to know that truth? Okay, in a nutshell, here is the truth. And also in a nutshell, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, the truth that sets you free is simply this. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. 
I am the life. No one gets to the Father except when they go through me. See, Jesus says, I won't compromise with you. But if you want truth and you want me, then surrender to me because I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So if you want truth, surrender to me and I will give you truth and I will set you free and you will be right with God. That's what this is about. This is about rightness with God. This truth that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and you can only come to the Father except through me, that's what was accomplished for us on the cross because we've all got crap. We've all got a ton of baggage and nonsense and garbage. We've all got past histories of unbelief. We've all got doubts currently. We've all got addictions. We've all got hang-ups. We've all got hurts. We've got all of this stuff that weighs us down. And Jesus says, you know what? On the cross, I paid a way for you to be right with God. Forgiveness for all of the mistakes you've made. I burst forth from the grave. I didn't stay dead. I broke every chain so that when you follow me, now I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. When you come through me, all of that is gone. All of that is broken. And and yeah, it's still going to hurt sometimes. And it's not going to be simple. But God says, I will give you freedom. Such freedom that you don't even know. This is the truth of the gospel. And Jesus says, I am the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so this is where we're at. And it's that truth that I want to invite you to accept this morning. But... I need to caution you. That truth is expensive. Last text I want to share with you here is Matthew 13, 44. Here's what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, says the kingdom of heaven, it's another parable, by the way, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. So get this, he's like walking along a field and he's like, huh, that's weird. What's that sheet covering up? And he takes the sheet and he's like, oh, it's a grand treasure. It's the most beautiful treasure he's ever seen. It's everything he's ever wanted. He looks at that treasure and he says, that is the answer to every query I've ever had. This treasure is the answer to every need that's ever presented itself. This treasure is everything that I need it to be. And so what does he do? He hides it again. Okay, because he doesn't want it to disappear. He hides it again, and he goes, and he sells everything that he owns to get enough money to come back and buy that treasure. I don't know how much he owned, but you know what I know he sold? Everything. He could have owned a very little, and he sold it all, and it was enough to buy the treasure. He could have owned everything, and he sold it all so that he could buy the treasure, and it was enough, because here's what happened. What he did is he made the treasure the most important thing in his life. He said, there is nothing else. There is nothing else that is going to be anywhere close to as valuable as the treasure. And so he sacrificed it all. Do you know what that means for my life? And I'm going to be really bluntly honest with you here because I don't want you following Jesus not knowing what it costs. I'm inviting you to follow Jesus. I'm inviting you to surrender to the truth. And I'm telling you, it is so good when you do. You don't even know. But you got to know what it costs. So I'll tell you what it cost me. When I decided to follow Jesus, here's what it cost me. It cost me my selfishness. I am a selfish guy by nature. I like me. I think I'm awesome. 
I think I deserve lots and lots of accolades, and I think that I should be the most important person in my life. I think that everybody else that knows me should feel blessed to know me. <laughs> and I think they should act like it. You're laughing, but some of you are exactly the same way. And I'm not just talking to you teenagers. I followed Jesus. I had to give that up. I had a short temper. And it's probably because I was so selfish. But I had a short fuse. Because I wanted things to be the way that I wanted them to be. And when things weren't the way that I wanted them to be, I let everybody know that things weren't the way that I wanted them to be. I still fight against that today. I had to give up my anger. My anger was comfortable. My selfishness was comfortable. Why? Because it made me feel good. It's like Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And I had to give that up. You know what else I had to sacrifice? This one, this, I say selfishness and anger, and you're like, yeah, okay, I get that. I, I had to give up my family. My faith and my chasing Jesus has cost me family relationships. I mean, I still have them, kind of. But it cost me family relationships. It cost me friendships. Those people that used to be so important to me when I was in college, in my fraternity, and, and the years after when we would work hard to get together and have a great time. We're Facebook friends now. It cost me my... <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for anything. It cost me my job security. It, it cost me my, my retirement pension. It cost me my rule of 88, which for me was 56 years old. For those of you that work in schools, you know what I'm talking about. It cost me. But you know what? Following Jesus was worth everything I had, and there's so much more that we haven't even scratch the surface of because I don't want to keep you here all day. You got roast in the oven, I get it. But it cost. But I want you to know that it is worth everything. And so here's what you do. Some of you right now, you're, you get it. You're in. You're like, I, I will pay that price. And you know what? It's going to be hard because you're going to want to take that free gift of salvation or you're going to put it on your shelf. And then what's going to happen when you explore truth is you're going to find out that this gift of Jesus, this free gift of Jesus, that it's going to start to conflict with other things in your life. And you're like, okay, you know what? Because of this, I can't operate my business this way anymore. And you're going to have to make a decision. And you're like, because of this, I can't watch porn all the time anymore. And you're going to have to make a decision. And because of this, I can't just have whatever relationship I want. And it's going to start to compete a little bit. Listen to me. You got to know that. You got to know the cost going in. That when you decide to sell out to Jesus, it is going to cost you everything, but it is going to be so worth it. Because you know as well as I do, that stuff doesn't work for you. You know it doesn't work right. You know it's not running smooth. Jesus says, Man, I will fix it for you. And it won't be easy and it won't be short and it won't be this smooth sailing process, but he says, Man, I will fix it for you. He wants you, he pursues you, he desires you, he was born for you, he died for you, he took punishment for you, he was resurrected to bring you into relationship. Jesus wants 
you. But get this, he will not compromise for you. He is who he is. He thinks he's that great and he knows it. The kingdom is reserved for people who are obsessed with the treasure. They give up everything for the treasure and they are pleased to do so. They are moved by the fact that the God of the universe wants them. That the God of the universe would forgive them. That the God of the universe would put his spirit inside them. They're obsessed with the treasure. Last thing I'll say before we, uh, we close in prayer and invite Malia and the praise team up is just simply this. When I'm asking you to respond, I'm going to ask you to respond the way that the Jews did at Peter's first sermon. As Peter walks into the temple on Easter Sunday, Peter walks into the temple and he starts sharing the truth. And the people know there's something about the way he says it. There's something about the truth that it bites at them, it stabs them, it convicts them. And, and, and they're at this point where, where they say, that's God? The one we hung on the cross, the one we killed, that's God? And he still wants us. He'll still take us. He'll still save us. He'll still let us live with him forever in heaven. He'll still make us right. What do we do? I mean, they're practically begging Peter for the answer. What do we do? See, God changed the soil of their heart so that they were ready to be fertile soil. He said, what do we do? And Peter said, man, the answer is easy. You repent and you be baptized. Repent. It doesn't matter where I've been, but it matters that right now I say God's not willing to compromise. He wants me, so I'm going to repent. I'm turning away from my brokenness, and I'm following him. Whatever that means, whatever it costs. And then you'd be baptized. And we actually will get to do baptisms here next week. So if there's anybody here that's thinking, man, you know what, this makes sense to me, and I, I want to be in, and, and they're ready to be baptized, we'll, we'll have a chance to do that next week, and symbolizes this so well, that you're leaving it all behind as you go under the water. I'm leaving it all behind, and I'm coming up, and, and I'm this new person that's chasing after Jesus. It's the reason that God does it this way. It's this great symbol of your death, dying to your old self, and living for Jesus. Listen to me doesn't get better. It's not easy, but it doesn't get better. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just, it's my heart's prayer this morning that people will just love you like I do. And it's not that I do it perfectly, but God, that, that I want to. And it's not that I've sacrificed everything yet in my life that, that is wrong, but I'm striving to do it and I'm trying to do it. And God, so I ask you just to continue to help grow me, and then to speak to the hearts of people that are ready to make that decision. Change the soil of their heart. Make them receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can move forward. God, you love us like crazy. You died for us. You pursue us. You speak truth to us. You pour into us. You manipulate circumstances at times to draw us close to you. But God, you won't compromise. Communicate the truth to our hearts that we need to follow you and that it's in following you that we find real freedom, that we are set free to live the life that we were intended to live. Father, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for who you are. Amen.